Welcome to A Transforming Word with Pastor Bill Buffington. This program is a ministry of Calvary Chapel Inglewood. Today on A Transforming Word. He empowered me. God strengthened me to let go of alcohol, which helped me, which I realized that I could have never got walking with the Lord drinking. Because when I was drunk, I wanted to fight and I wanted to sin and I was after women. And so God said, you'd never make it like that. So he needed that out of my life. That was right away. It was almost the first thing that was right there. Well, the first thing was I was living with somebody and God said, you got to break that off. And then it was that. And then my issue with women, God said, nope, you got to break up with them and throw away the books and throw away the numbers and just you're going to be single. Is there anything in your life keeping you from God? Are there distractions that are keeping you focused off of him? Pastor Bill is going to show you today how big of a change God made in his life so you can be encouraged to do the same. If there's anything standing between you and God, it's only going to cause pain down the road if you don't give it up. There's no greater joy than the joy God can give. And to have anything in your life be more important than him only makes you miss out on what he has for you. Now, here's Pastor Bill in the book of Romans chapter 8 for today's edition of A Transforming Word. Even if you succeed at resisting him, you lose because what he wanted to do in your life was good. So you can resist him. You can grieve him. He lives in you, right? He doesn't leave. If you go somewhere you're not supposed to go, the Holy Spirit don't leave. He don't say, I'm not going in there with you. He goes. He's grieved, though. And just imagine whatever you do wrong, he's there. I give a vivid illustration because it's how it goes down. Imagine that you have a husband and a wife. Pick one of them to be the cheater. One of them's in, a, in an ongoing adulterous affair with somebody else. But the other person has to go every time and watch. And they can't say nothing. They can't. They just have to watch. That's what you do. The Holy Spirit is grieved. I got to watch. I can't leave. I don't get to be somewhere else. I have to be present while you do what you do. You can grieve the Holy Spirit. He's not leaving. He lives in you. So you can quench him. You can grieve him. And so you yield to the spirit. You resist the spirit. What is it? Grieve the spirit. Oh, and then you can quench him. It's just quenching him and resisting him are similar where the spirit is leading you to do something. And I'm not going to allow him to do what he wants to do in my life. I'm quenching him. God's moving you to do something. No, I'm quenching that. I'm not doing that. Putting that fire out. There's a fire blowing in you. To God, I'm stirring you up to do these things for me. Quench that. Put that down. Stop that. And some people on purpose, I'm going to get away from the people that are stirring me up. I'm quenching that. I don't want to hear no more Bible studies about it. Some people are trying to shut God out. You can quench the spirit. So those are all the things that you can do and what's recommended because these are the positives. You can yield to the spirit. You can be led by the spirit. Ephesians tells us to be filled by the spirit. And when Ephesians gives an illustration of alcohol, right? It says, don't be drunk with wine wherein it's dissipation says, but rather be filled with the Holy Spirit, right? Being drunk, anybody that's been drunk before, um, you become under the influence of a controlled substance. So someone drunk under the influence of alcohol may do things that they wouldn't normally do, think things they wouldn't normally think. They're under his influence, under his power, if you will. When it says be filled with the Holy Spirit, it's a nautical or a boating term. The same way that a sailboat goes, the wind fills the sail of a sailboat. It gives it power and direction. God says, be filled with the spirit. Let it give you direction where to go. But also he'll give you the power to go where he's taking you. So God said, I want you to be filled with my spirit. Let me guide you. Let me direct you and empower you to go in a new direction. And again, if I could share what I think is so beautiful about the work of the Holy Spirit in our lives. God's saying, there's not really a lot of work on your part, right? If I just say, God, I'm going to obey. 
You're going to lead me. I'll go where you say. You're going to be the wind that fills my sail. I'm just going to allow you to direct me and empower me. We just yield and let the Holy Spirit have his way in our life. You realize it's not like God's not requiring you to, okay, I got to muster up the power to, you know, really just let the spirit have its way in my life. That's why I hate all the misrepresentation, misrepresentation of the work of the Holy Spirit in the church. The Holy Spirit starts to look like something that we muster up. You know, the spirit was really moving. Why? Everybody was jumping up and down and running laps and clapping five. And that's human energy. And when we start to relate that to the work of the Holy Spirit, is that what the Holy Spirit does? Make people jump up and down church, fall over pews. And that's what he does. Or does he empower us to go out there and be a witness for him? Does he empower us to go out there and, and live in victory and have an impact on the world that's going to hell? Or the work of the Holy Spirit relegated to gatherings of believers with music playing at a certain cadence and people jumping up and down like that. <laughs> Just like that, you know. <laughs> Holy Ghost. You know what I'm so, so I hate that stuff because one, I've been in those circles and this is how real it is for me. I've been in those circles, in those churches, with those ministers and those musicians, and I know what it looks like after service. So I know there are people up there that were, man, it looked like the Holy Ghost was having his way. That'd be fornicating afterwards. We had a musician at the one place where I was at that could sing and play like you wouldn't believe. But they couldn't pay him till after Sunday night service because he had a crack addiction. He would be smoking crack with that money, and they paid him anyway. And I would look at all these things and just think, like, what is it? What is the power of the Holy Spirit to do? It's not just for some musical, you know, experience. God wants to move in and transform lives, you guys. And when I look at the word of God and I'm looking at people who I know were filled with the spirit and I look at what God did through their life, it was powerful. They weren't the same. They were the same person, but they didn't go the same way. They didn't do the same things and they didn't move in the same power. God had apprehended a life and he did something great. And that's something else you see. Those that were filled with the spirit, God was doing things through them. For his glory and for the benefit of others that could not be done otherwise. And so you look at the early church and they walked in the fullness of the spirit and there was supernatural love that they had towards one another. They weren't like what we see in a lot of churches today where there's bickering and backbiting and gossiping and they were they loved each other so much that the rich folks sold stuff to, to make sure that the poor folk had what they needed. And no one told them to do it. They just said, we're just going to take care of one another. Just felt led to do so. Um, that was what was happening in the early church. They weren't told, let's go witnessing. They were just being a witness everywhere they went. It was so powerful that the enemy thought to stop them by bringing persecution. We're going to beat you and make you guys stop. And so they just converged on them to make them stop this stuff. And they made them run out to other places. And everywhere they ran out, guess what happened? People got saved. So instead of it backfired on the devil, I'm going to converge on them and persecute them to silence them and make them disperse so they can't be all together. Because they're only powerful together, but they got dispersed out to different areas and everywhere they went, people got saved. That's the work of the Holy Spirit. When we say, just have your way in my life. We don't plan every day. You just be living tomorrow in accordance with the Spirit. It may be something as simple as what you do in your home and God has you ministering to your kids in a way that has a significant impact on them. God may move on you and your job and just put someone in your heart. You need to start praying for them. Look for an opportunity to get with them one-on-one and just chop it up, share with them. You know, he'll just be moving on your heart. People to go, go, go talk to them. He'll be there present, moving in you. God will be cleaning up your life. Maybe you should put that away. You shouldn't watch that no more. That's bad. Look at the impact that has on your mind when you do that. He'll be there just talking. You know, still small voice. And when you begin to just yield habitually to the spirit, you'll look at your life and it'll be transforming. Like, man, six months ago, I was into all these things. And as I've been yielded to the work of the Holy Spirit, 
not religiously. It's not a religious. It's not because somebody yelled at you and told you you shouldn't do that if you really love God. Just the Holy Spirit in you saying, I don't like that. That doesn't please me. And you saying, okay, Lord, I want to please you. So I put that away. What does please you? And show me what to do. And God will give you some new desires and some new passions and some new things. And you'll start giving your heart and your attention to those things. And it'll be fulfilling and edifying and everything else. And you watch your life begin to transform. And the awesome thing about it, the way God will do it, it won't be some religious rote. It won't be some legalistic thing where I got these rules and you shouldn't do this and do that and do that. It'll be something that God is just working within you. He's just going from the inside out. He's purifying you. He's changing you. He's giving you new desires and he's canceling out old stuff. And the thing for some of us, the stuff that God wants to cancel out that we sometimes resist letting go of, this is the hard thing. You don't get to find out what God was going to do until you let go. If you're over here holding on to some junk, and the spirit's been saying, let that go. Repent of that. Put that down. You know what's wrong. I don't like it. I hate it. But you're like, mm, but I like this. So I'm just tucking over here. And I won't let I'm going to still have it though. But you'll never know what God was going to give you in replace of that. I said, I need to take that away so I can do this in your life. But you still hold it. You've been holding it for years. And this is what happens in church culture. Is rather than repenting, people get good at hiding. So I know this isn't right, so I just won't be public about it. I don't want everybody in my business. You know, I'll just do this on the low over here. Can you do anything on the low before the Lord? Where you go, he's there. So if God is telling you to let it go, forget about us. It's between you and God. God said let that go. And you won't know why he needed you to let it go till you get over here having let it go. In my own life, I can testify that I got saved. And first thing God had me let go of was alcohol. Because it was a problem and he empowered me. Um, God strengthened me to let go of alcohol, which helped me, which I realized that I could have never got walking with the Lord drinking. Because when I was drunk, I wanted to fight and I wanted to sin and I was after women. And so God said, you'd never make it like that. So he needed that out of my life. That was right away. It was almost the first thing that was right there. Well, the first thing was I was living with somebody and God said, you got to break that off. And then it was that. And then my issue with women, God said, nope, you got to break up with them and Throw away the books and throw away the numbers and just you're going to be single. And that was the first time I was single since probably kindergarten. Not kindergarten, but like since, it seemed like it was always a girlfriend. But <laughs> there always was somebody, somebody that was like, I mean, I'm in early middle school. I just, that's my girlfriend right there. You just pick one, you know. And that was weird, you know, but I was alone. It was not with somebody. God brought my wife. And she wasn't sure that I was saved enough yet. But she was curious, though. You know what I'm saying? So, uh, but would the Lord use that? God was like, now, look, I brought you somebody saved that she's not really sure. So if you mess up one time, you probably messed up for good. Um, and it was like, all right, I had a vision now. I'm like, God, you're putting all the pieces together. You know, I, I see what I could have if I just keep going in the right way. But I realized this. When God told me to break up with the person I live with and let all those things go, if I had not done that, it was just two months later I met her. If I had met her and been living with somebody, we'd never got nowhere. It would have just been like, you know, it wouldn't happen. So I look back, I think, man, I could be this further. I might be single now wondering, God, where my wife at? I don't know my wife at. He's like, I told you, let that mess go. You know, some of us don't know. I think about that often. If I'd have held on to that two months longer than God said, I don't know who I would have right now. I couldn't imagine that I would be happy with what I would have right now. Just look back like, man, Lord, thank you. Thank you for being on me. It was convicting me to do so. And I'm saying this. If you're here now today and you know 
I don't have to mention it, but you know the Holy Spirit is saying, stop that. It might be a habit. Some of y'all might be in relationships that you already know it's not the will of God. It's not even a question. You say, they not. It's not a question. You know, you're holding on to something over here that the Spirit has been saying, let go. You don't get to find out. Some people think they get to kind of hold on lightly and then see if God, when you show me over here, then I'll let it go. And God's like, it don't work like that. You'll be trying that for 20 years. You're going to let go and trust in faith and yield to me. And then I'll do all that I want to do. Some of us have habits that God says, you can't serve me like that. I've given you gifts. I've given you abilities. And I want to use you for my glory. But I'm not using you like that. Since I'm available to cleanse you and wash you of that, your unwillingness to yield here disables you from being useful over here. And so some people are frustrated. They know they have all this potential, what they could do, but they're not doing any of it because they won't let go. So this is the beautiful thing, right? If that's where you are, in a moment today, you can say, God, I agree with you. When we confess our sins, we're saying, God, I agree with you. I'm going to call this a sin. This is wrong that I don't yield to you in this area. It's wrong that I'm not letting you have your way in my life here. Today, I confess I've been sinning against you. God. I'm holding out on you. I'm not allowing the spirit to rule my life. You died for me and I'm not letting you have your way. I'm sorry today. God, help me walk in repentance. Repentance is not a prayer. Repentance is a behavior. Um, some people confess their sins. I repented of that yesterday. No, no, no. Repentance is a lifestyle, right? Um, repentance means you made a U-turn. You used to do this and be walking this way and you made a U-turn. Now you're going in the opposite direction. And so repentance is something you continue. You repent every day. Walking in repentance is an ongoing thing. I can't have a relationship with someone where I slapped you yesterday. I mean, I repented of that. Then I slapped you again today. Yeah, I repented of that. At some point, <laughs> I'm going to get slapped back and then, you know, we both need to repent. But the repentance would be, I stopped that. I recognized it was wrong. I confessed it, said sorry, and I'm not done it again. I walked away. And we see that illustrated in the Bible. We all know how bad David's sin was. It was horrific what David did. But David repented. And you don't ever see David doing that thing again. He never did that again. Repentance is turning away from something. And so for some of us, today may be a day where there's things that you need to say, God, today I need to repent. I need to confess and repent and just allow the spirit to have his way in my life. This is the beautiful thing with the Lord. God's willing to pick it up wherever we start. So you may have been feeling guilty of this for all this time. And God said, I'll pick it up with you today. God's not like us, right? If a human being is asking somebody to do some overtime and they don't do it, they don't do it. You get bitter. And then somebody finally comes, okay, I want to do it. No, you don't. We don't give people that kind of chance. God says, you want to start today? I'm so excited. We'll start today. Right, God will take you where you are. He's not like us. He's not holding it against you that you've been disobedient for so long. He's not holding it against you that you didn't listen last time he said so. God said, if you want to listen today, I want to start today. I'll fill you with my spirit today. I'll renew you in my presence today. God said, I'll take you from today and we'll start moving in a new direction. And so be encouraged in that. If you're one that need to take some new direction today, let the Lord do it today. Let him begin to guide you in a new way beginning now. That's what he desires to do in our lives. And so uh, once again, verse seven says, but the carnal mind is enmity against God for it is not subject to the law of God, nor indeed can be. The carnal mind won't submit. It's not subject to the word, the law, the rule of God, and it won't be. It said, nor indeed can it be. Why can't the carnal mind be subject to God? Because it's not born again. It just can't. It's carnal. It's fleshly. Um, but then it says this in verse eight. So then those who are in the flesh cannot please God. I was thinking of Hebrews eleven six. You know, without faith, it's impossible to please God. Here, God says those that are in the flesh cannot please God. 
I can't please guys. It's not, I won't please them. I don't please them. If you're in the flesh, you can't please them. But then he says in verse nine, but you are not in the flesh, but in the spirit. If indeed the spirit of God dwells in you. Now, if anyone does not have the spirit of Christ, he is not his. So he changes gears here. He tells them, look, speaking to the group he's talking to, they're believers. He said, look, but you, you're not in the flesh, but you're in the spirit. If indeed the spirit of God dwells in you. Now, if anyone does not have the spirit of Christ, he is not his. So if you don't have the spirit in you, you know, you're not saved. You know, you don't belong to the Lord. How do I test myself? How do I know if the spirit of God lives in me? Because it's kind of important. If God said, if you don't have it, you're not mine. I kind of need to know if I have it. And so a couple things. First, you look at the work of the Holy Spirit. What does he do in the life of the believer? One, he convicts you of sin. Do you experience conviction against sin? Not do you experience the guilt of getting in trouble for your sin? Because everybody experiences that. Do you experience conviction? When nobody else knows what you have done, not that you got a dirty conscience, but is the Holy Spirit there convicting you? Because then there's an evidence there that you belong to him. He convicts us of sin. Um, as a believer, you're not going to just enjoy sin like a non-believer would. And when I wasn't saved, I know I didn't experience conviction. I just enjoyed my sin unless I enjoyed my sin until the consequences caught up with me. Then I didn't enjoy the consequences, but I didn't feel conviction. I didn't feel bad about starting my sin. I didn't finish sinning and be like, I feel so bad about that. But, you know, there'd be some things that when you first do them, you feel bad about them because you got a conscience. But not in general, not with sin. But then I get saved. And then what I would have considered little things. There was conviction. Um, it'd be things as far as, and I've shared this before, all my life I bag on people. You know, that's just how I grew up. You know, somebody start making fun, talking about somebody's mama, and, you know, I'd talk about people, and that was a way of having fun, but also, you know, everybody don't take that the same. Somebody over here is laughing with you, and this person over here is crying on the inside. So I get saved, and I don't think that's that bad, and I'm at work, at jobs, and I'm tearing this one guy up, and the Lord, is, I'm feeling bad about it. God's like, man, look, I'm like, it was funny, though. Everybody was laughing. Like, we had a great time. Laughter's a medicine, right? You know, try to compromise, uh, try to twist the word. But God started convicting me of that. It's like, now your witness is shot. You can't witness to him now. He's offended. Everybody else laughing, but he offended. And I'm like, man, all right, now I got to be careful with that. You know, so for you guys that know me, they're friends. I play with those that play. But I don't play with everybody. There's some guys that just out of respect that it might not edify. I don't take that liberty anymore to say, I'm going to just do that because it's funny. So a lot of times they still come to my head, though. So <laughs> it happens. I can't stop that. So people will say stuff and it's right here. And I'll have a little laugh on the inside. And my wife sometimes like, but what are you laughing at? I'm like, no, I'm just enjoy that. That's just for me, you know. But I don't do it anymore, you know. And so God will come in and begin to convict us of things that used to not be an issue. It's an evidence that you're his. Um, the Bible says that God disciplines those that are his. And so if you've ever been disciplined by the Lord, it's an evidence that you belong to him. Now, that's not our favorite way to know, but it's, it is a way. And if you just sin and run them up and there ain't no discipline, God don't intervene. You don't receive a spanking. There's this man, you might not be his, you know? I spank my kids when need be, but I don't spank your kids. So if your kid get in front of me and throw a tantrum and stomp on my toe and, you know, I just look at them like, I look at you, you know? Like, what are you going to do, mom, dad? You know, like, that's your kid. You got to handle that. But let my kid do that. Let my kid, no! Man, we'd be in the bathroom right now. We'll be taking a walk to the bathroom. So God said, I discipline my kids because I love them, right? Now, he doesn't discipline us to beat us 
or we'll be beat bad. But God says he disciplines us because he loves us. And it says that no discipline is pleasant for the present time, but afterwards it yields the peaceable fruit of righteousness to those that are trained by it. Another evidence that you belong to the Lord. So, and the third thing that the Holy Spirit does is he guides us into all truth. And so one of the jobs or works of the Holy Spirit is to guide us into truth. And so sometimes you have people that are saved and maybe pretty new in their walk with the Lord. And they may run into a cult or some weird group and they don't know all the verses. They can't explain it, but they just know something's not right. Something just seems off with this. And they're aware that something's not right, but they can't tell what. And that's the Holy Spirit inside saying, mm, don't get caught up there. That's bad. You know, and that's the Holy Spirit. He guides us into all truth. And so those are some of the ways that we can know that he's present with us. And then most importantly, I would just say if there's any question or rather the Holy Spirit abides in you, that you would today say, God, that's a question I can't let linger out there. And so I'm going to just today confess you to be Lord of my life and ask you to come and live inside me. That's not one you want lingering out there. Am I saved? Am I lost? That's not really one you can afford to have hanging out there. You know, you want to settle that. And so God has given us instruction. What do I do to be saved? I acknowledge that I'm a sinner. I believe that Jesus died for my sins and rose from the grave and I confess him to be the Lord of my life. I surrender. Lord, come and live inside me. I surrender to you today. And again, there's no one that he doesn't reject anyone. Romans 10, 13 says that all who call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. No one calls on God. And he says, not you. If you call on him, he says, yes, I receive you. And he forgives us. Amen. Everybody just take a moment to consider your state before God. And I want to point out a few things. I want those that are here that have any question about their salvation. If you're going to heaven when you die, if that is a question, I beg you that you wouldn't leave here today with that being an unanswered question when God has made it so available to answer it. What do you do if you are lost, if you know you're lost, if you think you're lost? You surrender your life to the Lord. You come. You recognize that you're a sinner. Romans 3, 23, all of sin and falls short of the glory of God. You know, you believe that Jesus died on the cross and rose from the dead. Romans 10, 9 and 10, you, that if you believe, you confess Jesus as Lord, believe in your heart that God has raised him from the dead, that you will be saved. Um, we believe he died on the cross, that he rose from the grave. We, we're acknowledging that. That confession has to be a true confession. And then it's a matter of, God, I surrender. There should be repentance in that. Um, as I surrender my life to the Lord, there's repentance. God, I turn away from what I've been doing and I give you access. I give you my life. It's a surrendering over our life to the Lord. Anybody can do that. God will receive it from anybody. If you're a believer and that's not a question, you know you're saved. You experience conviction of the Holy Spirit, the leading of the Spirit, the discipline of the Lord. But you know that you're not yielded in the way that you need to be. Maybe you say, you know what, I know I quench the Spirit in some areas. Or I grieve the Spirit in some instances. And I just don't walk in the fullness of the Spirit like I should. I'm not yielded completely. Then for you, continue that we wouldn't grieve him. That we wouldn't resist him. That we wouldn't quench him, but that we would just come over here and yield. We want to ask God to forgive us for whatever it is that had you quenching him, grieve, whatever it is that you love more, that you've been clinging to tighter, that could, day could be a day where you would acknowledge it, confess it, repent of it, let it go. Because what would our life look like if God had full access? Everybody here should answer that. As a believer, would my life be any different if God had full reign? Am I holding back anything and if you're holding back anything, then let yesterday be the last day you held it back. You'll give it up today, you know. But let's not hold back anything from the Lord because we don't have that much time, right? I believe the Lord's coming back. I know I could die any day and meet him, but I also know that he's coming back. 
and I want to be ready. I want to be busy. I want to make best use of my time on this planet. And for the believer, the way we make best use of our time here is to stay yielded to Jesus by yielding to the spirit for what he wants to do in our lives. Amen. You've been listening to Pastor Bill Buffington on a transforming word as he works his way through the book of Romans. The Apostle Paul dove into the mysteries of faith in this letter to the church in Rome, drawing on a rich history found in the Old Testament. He looks back to the faith of Abraham, which was counted to him as righteousness. This is what he had to say about the patriarch in chapter 4, verses 20 to 21. No unbelief made him waver concerning the promise of God, but he grew strong in his faith as he gave glory to God, fully convinced that God was able to do what he had promised. Since we get to participate in the righteousness that comes through faith, let's set our hearts and minds on the power of God to do everything he had promised. We're so glad you decided to spend your time with us today. There's so much more that Paul gave us through the letter to the Romans, from deep theology to practical instructions on how to live. You won't want to miss a message, and we've made it easy for you to stay connected through Facebook, Instagram, or YouTube. But we also have a free mobile app with access to our messages. To find out, head over to calvaryinglewood.org. Once again, that's calvaryinglewood.org. Look under the media tab to find a plethora of messages in our mobile app. While you're on the website, take a look around. We have a lot more available to you, including a daily Bible reading plan. Well, we're out of time for today, but we'll see you here next time, where we will again bring you a transforming word.